Global law and global business go hand in hand, but never seem to keep pace with each other. The importance on the global stage of developing and developed nations waxes and wanes while consumption and interconnectedness steadily increase, all the while laws and regulations change incessantly, requiring businesses to stay nimble. But how do we make sense of it all? Welcome to Global Law and Business, hosted by Harris Brickens, international business attorneys. I'm Fred Rockefort. And I'm Jonathan Bench. Every week, we take a targeted look at legal and economic developments in locales around the world as we try to decipher global trends in law and business with the help of international experts. We cover continents, countries, regimes, governance, finance, legal developments, and whatever is trending on Twitter. We cover the important, the seemingly unimportant, the relatively simple, and the complex. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please connect with us on social media to comment and suggest future topics and guests. Katarina Kuzma heads the Public Procurement and Environmental Protection Teams at DZP, a leading Polish law firm where she specializes in both Polish and European Union law. She also heads the team serving Spanish-speaking clients and has extensive experience in advising on international investment projects. Katarina, welcome to Harris Brickens Global Law and Business. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me today. Katarina, we would love to hear more about your background. We'd love to hear about how you became a lawyer, what you've been doing in your legal profession. We know that you've spent time working at Spanish law firms, and we're particularly interested in that. Oh, thank you for that question. So to answer it, please let me share with you a personal story which may say something about Poland today. So as you may remember, the transition from a socialist centralized economy to the market economy started in Poland in 1989. And it is a bit difficult to calculate, but the average monthly remuneration in Poland at the time was around 30 US dollars only. So uh, in the early 90s, I was starting to evaluate my college options and my father suggested that maybe I should study abroad. But you can imagine that given the circumstances, it sounded like a very crazy idea. Poland was not a member, uh, EU member, uh, and the average Pole didn't have uh, the financial resources or, or even the language skills needed to go abroad. But finally, we found a way as Germany was about to create the European University Viedrina just on the Polish border, allowing Central and Eastern European students to enroll with a scholarship. So the idea was to start the integration process between Western and Eastern Europe with open-minded young people. So it was like a kind of, uh, of investment in the future. And uh, also, what is also important, Viatrina allowed Polish students to study German and Polish law at the same time, which uh, was definitely a great opportunity for me. So I went for it. And from that point, being a student at the German university, I was admitted to the Erasmus program in Barcelona in Spain. So Bar Barcelona is a great city, beautiful city. And after finishing university, I decided to stay for a while uh, in Barcelona and ended up living there for seven years. So I got a place in the Barcelona office of a German law firm. And after that, I switched to the Spanish Monero Mayer, where I worked for three years. 
And then I met Nadia Witz, the current uh, current head of your office in Barcelona, who became a friend of mine. We worked uh, together in uh, in the litigation team. Uh, it was possible because I was also admitted to the Spanish bar. And finally, in 2006, I received a proposal from DZP, my current firm in Poland, as Spanish investments were booming in Central and Eastern Europe, and somebody with Spanish experience was needed to run our Spanish desk. So I think this story is a little bit a story of Poles of my generation um, to be open to new opportunities and not to be afraid of change. I'd like to follow up on your answer. You mentioned that Spanish investment was booming in Central Europe at the at the time. I'd like to learn a little bit more about the kinds of Spanish companies that were, were investing in, in that part of the world. So basically, we are talking about companies coming from all uh, sectors of the economy, but, uh, but a lot of them also involved in the infrastructure and energy sector. So a number of big construct, uh, construction companies. So finally, after being a litigation lawyer, I became basically public procurement, pub, uh, public contracts lawyer. And right now I am advising a number of international clients coming from many different jurisdictions. So not only from Spain, but also from basically every, uh, everywhere, including uh, including China. So uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I, I work uh, on infrastructure and energy projects, uh, mainly also of environmental related projects uh, in public contracts. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I'm always curious as to the, the daily life of counterparts in other, in other countries. Of course, even here in the United States, there, there, there is no such thing as a, as a typical lawyer. There are lawyers doing all, all kinds of things. And my typical day is going to be very different from that of a lawyer in another, in another state or, or doing other, other kinds of work. But that said, uh, I'd be very interested in, in hearing what uh, a typical day looks like for you. I know that there's probably not such a thing. I'm sure there's there's quite a bit of difference from day to day. But but just in general, if you could kind of put together sort of rough approximation of, of what uh, a quote unquote normal day looks like for you, uh, that would be very interesting. For, for example, just um, some of the things that, that I'd be interested in. Do you go to court regularly or is that something that you don't have to do? Uh, how much interface do you have with, with, with clients? Is there much travel involved to project sites, um, other cities in Poland, perhaps other cities in, in Europe? Oh, you are totally right. So there is no such thing for me, a typical day, I mean. So there is a, a, a before COVID and post COVID reality also. So as I advised a number of international clients uh, from many different jurisdictions before COVID, I used to travel a lot. And because in my view, having a personal relationship with a client and building up trust over time are crucial for business. But uh, I'm also quite active in several international lawyers' organizations and used to speak at conferences, seminars, etc. Unfortunately, this part uh, of in-person meetings is now very limited, but we still meet uh, online. And, uh, okay, as a government contracts lawyer, so in 2020, I was very lucky to work on major infrastructure and energy projects in the country. So, for example, the 
the major, the biggest one was the Baltic Pipe project, which involves the construction of a gas, uh, gas pipeline connection under the Baltic Sea between Norway, Denmark and Poland. Um, so it was highly important, not only, uh, uh, I would say, uh, even crucial for uh, for energy security in Poland. So it involved uh, a lot of meetings with uh, with the client, our client here, which was gas system, but also with the uh, counterparts. Uh, talking about court, yes, there is a special court dealing with public procurement, public contracts issues. So, uh, so yes, I'm quite regular. And apart from that, so in October 2020, together with my co-author Wojciech Hartung, I published a book on collusion in public procurement. Uh, we were very happy when it was published in English by Elgar Publishing House in UK. So I was also very busy with the book by the time. And what else? So most importantly, I have two children, two boys, a Spanish husband living in Warsaw and missing the sunshine my sports activities, so no time to be bored. I have some personal questions for you now so, because I have I have five children, so I'm, I'm always curious about the juggling professional and, and personal interests. You mentioned sporting interests, so I assume with a Spanish husband, maybe football is big in, in your family, but what do you do for your personal activities when you're getting exercise and spending time outdoors? Oh, not at all. My husband is not interested in football, which is strange. I, I agree. <laughs> so in my case, I'm basically running. So this is what I try to do almost every day. And now with the COVID situation, it is, it is also an activity which is possible because some activities are not possible anymore. And how much are you interacting with, um, with lawyers or businesses to, to your Eastern side? You know, we're talking Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, Ukraine, and, and Russia. How much, how much of your work is eastward looking and how much is, is westward looking? So the most of, uh, of my clients are clients for, from coming from Western Europe, uh, United States or China, honestly speaking. We, ha- we have also a very good relationship with the Baltic states and some of them are coming from, uh, from Lithuania, for example. With Russia, we do not have a lot of relationship business relationship so actually I uh, and and moreover I'm not in charge of the region so uh, so mostly I'm working with uh, Western Europe countries and overseas countries and how much of your practice is involving the the interplay between Polish and EU law we'd love to hear more about uh, you know as coming from the West we don't we're learning. Fred and I have learned quite a bit from our international guests uh, who are in Europe, but we always like to, to get different perspectives on um, on how much uh, EU law impacts the way that you are doing your practice and, and your clients are doing business. How does that work and what are some things that, that uh, you think are, are interesting or that we should know about that? So I would say uh, 100% because in my case, the, the public procurement law, public contracts law is based on the European directives. And uh, as you probably know, Poland is a member of the EU since 2004. So we, we had to adapt our legislation to EU laws, directives, and we did so. Uh, as did other Central and European countries. So please remember that uh, as a country uh, that benefits from EU funds, the public beneficiaries, public authorities are constantly being audited and checked by 
national and EU institutions. So any deviation from EU rules may be may result in so-called financial adjustments, meaning the funds have to be returned. So sometimes I have the feeling that we are applying EU rules more strictly than our Western colleagues. This is at least my perspective as a public contracts lawyer. So while we are on this general subject, it is worth mentioning that you are our first guest from Eastern Europe, which is um, it's unfortunate and it's something that we've been we've been trying to, to remedy for a while. And we thank you for allowing us to do that. Uh, and I say it's unfortunate because it, it really is a very interesting region. There's 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 a lot happening, and and I'm glad we're we're finally able to to talk to to a guest uh, from there. On that note, could you perhaps give us an overview of what is happening? What is the general climate in Poland and the region? And I understand that you're in Poland. Obviously, your 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 knowledge of what's happening there might be more extensive than what is happening in in other in other countries in the region. But still, to the extent that you could you could shed some light on what's happening, that would be great. One thing that I will note is that it seems that these days, whenever we hear about Eastern Europe, or most of the time when we hear about Eastern Europe, it's usually in connection with, um, let's say, the the direction that some of the governments in the region are taking towards a stronger uh, style of, of governance. We hear this a lot in connection to the Hungarian government, um, but sometimes Poland gets uh, gets caught up in that. At the same time, I'm sure that there's a lot more happening. I, I would imagine that there are some interesting developments on the economic uh, front. And in fact, from what you've described so far, about your your work, that that definitely seems to be the case. My suspicion is that there is a, a lot more that we should know about Eastern Europe. So we'd love to have your your thoughts on that. That's a great question. So yes, indeed, news coverage can sometimes paint an unsettling picture, especially when it comes to political or ideological matters. Uh, however, we um, if we look at the larger picture and at Poland's impressive development over the last thirty years. Uh, and of course, the current economic situation, we see that, uh, that actually we have to do with a progressive country welcoming innovation and new technologies. And uh, most importantly, the full of opportunities for, for investors. So, um, as you of course know, Poland is located in Central Europe and has access to the entire EU market. So, from the logistic point of view, it's perfect investment destination. It's also a large consumer market with the population uh, of over 38 million people, uh, currently the sixth largest economy in the EU and biggest, uh, biggest beneficiary of EU funds. So uh, when it comes to post-COVID measures, our country will receive more than fa- uh, 57 billion euros as part of the recovery plan for 2021-2026. So I think it's it's very interesting for potential investors. And I would also say that our economy is crisis resilient because we had no recession in the last 30 years. It is worth highlighting that over the last decade before COVID pandemic, when many countries faced a serious financial crisis, Poland was named as a green island in Europe. We were the only economy in the EU not to be affected by recession during um, the previous global crisis and our GDP was growing constantly. So the last year was, of course, a, a bit difficult, but in 2021, our 
HDP should grow again by 3.5% approximately. So this is not a bad result at all. And regarding labor costs, so they are still much lower than in other European countries. Our labor law is more flexible than in Western Europe countries. So I think it's a very interesting place for investment. And there are many opportunities in many different sectors. I, I already mentioned infrastructure and energy, but also environmental protection related projects, tech sector, man, manufacturing industry, and of course, right now, very important pharmaceutical and healthcare sector. So what I mentioned before, there is this post-COVID EU recovery fund, and it is expected to catalyze the investment in the growing segments, including renewables, electromobility, electricity storage, hydrogen technology, but also digitalization and healthcare sectors. So I think uh, there is a plenty of opportunities. And actually, as lawyers, we are really very busy with domestic and foreign projects, uh, foreign investments. Katrina, I'm, I'm very curious about the generational changes, right? I mean, you mentioned you were about your growing up experience in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, and how things have changed significantly in, in the past 20 to 30 years. So now you as a mother, I'm very curious how, how you and your husband talk to your children, how your friends talk to their children about where Poland has been and also what the future looks like. How do you talk to your children and, and what's their outlook on their future? I'm, I'm very interested to hear that. So it's very difficult question because maybe we are not a typical Polish family. We are a Polish-Spanish family. And so the, the approach is, is maybe a little bit different. So our children are growing in both cultures. So we are visiting on a regular basis Spain, Barcelona and our Spanish family. And for them, it's really Europe is like uh, like uh, almost one country. So they are quite used to travel, quite used to speaking different languages. They think in both Polish and Spanish. They, my my older son already speaks English. So uh, so for them, traveling through Europe you know, to to meet different people from different jurisdictions, like. Uh, a daily day-to-day -day stuff you know so no, nothing strange for them so it, it's not like in my case that I went abroad for the first time when you know, when I was already an adult almost so for them um, they started traveling when when they were two months uh, um, uh, so so you can imagine that it's very very big change and very different approach. So we uh, we speak at home in two languages. Uh, I used to work in four languages at, almost at the same time. So so they they grow used to that basically, and I am very happy about it because uh, because you know they they see a lot of uh, different cultures. They they have a chance to meet different people and. And uh, it's much better. So the, the starting point is much better than, for example, 30 years ago or 40 years ago in my case. That's great. A great perspective. Thank you for sharing that. And how would you say, uh, how does that compare to what your friends, maybe your family, I don't know if you have siblings, but what have their experiences been like with their children? Because you mentioned you're, you're a Polish-Spanish household. What about a, the typical Polish household? 
So I would say that the young Poles are very open-minded. So we we really we were really very happy joining the European Union, and a lot of Poles went abroad for studying or for working. So 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 now, generally speaking, our society is quite quite open-minded. So it could be different, for example, in 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 smaller towns or places in Poland, but I think that generally speaking, the the people living in big cities like uh, like Warsaw, so it's very international community, and uh, people also work for different industries, foreign companies um, with uh, with its branch, branches and uh, and uh, industries here in Poland. So I. I really f- think that we enjoy being a part of the European Union, despite some some political differences or ideological differences we may have from time to time. Thank you. That, that's all very interesting perspective. Now, speaking of cosmopolitan, we love talking about China. China is everywhere in the world. We love talking about what the state-owned enterprises are doing, what the entrepreneurs are doing, how they're interacting around the world. And so would you say that Poland and the Eastern European neighbors are well aligned with the rest of Europe on China policy or are there different outlooks? Uh, also curious kind of what the typical uh, typical poll would think about China's rise and how China is doing in the world and, and particularly what China is doing in, in Eastern Europe. This is a tricky question because, um, for example, the relationship, bilateral relationship between Chinese and the Polish administration so is at least correct or really good. So, for example, recently the both administrations discussed cooperation in various fields in, in the pandemic and post-pandemic area. So, including organization of a summit of the 17 plus one initiative in 2021 or progress in the Belt and Road Initiative. So, um, uh, uh, on this level, I would say nothing to comment on. So, however, we are of course a part of European Union and the role of European Union and United States policy regarding China must also be taken into account. Uh, so now we are waiting for the EU-China Comprehensive Agreement on Investment to be signed and let's see what will happen afterwards. But uh, but you asked how how we react or what uh, what do we think about Chinese investment here in the in the region? So it is important to mention that the CE region, and I am talking now about uh, uh, countries belonging to European Union, can be seen as quite a new one for Chinese investors because they have of course been carrying out projects in the region for many years now though not as intensely as in Western Europe countries. So the development of the region and the number of business uh, opportunities makes the region um, an appealing location for investors from China, but this is quite new, I would say. So we have some uh, some Chinese investors interested in, um, in participating or uh, in large tenders or in executing projects, not only in the construction or uh, energy sectors, but also in the health sector, uh, waste management or IT sector. But this is quite new, I would say. So it is not like in Western Europe that you have a, like a long tradition of Chinese investors being present. It's like, uh, like the tendency which we are observing right now in our firm. 
I want to jump back a little bit. I'm I'm a little bit curious when when we were talking about your work and and the greater focus that you have on investment from the West as opposed to the East. I, I I'm a little bit curious as to where Polish companies fit into all this. Are Polish companies going into some of the non-EU markets to the East? You did mention that there's a close relationship with the, with the Baltics, but I'm thinking of places like the Ukraine, places perhaps even in the, in the Caucasus. Are Polish companies going there and sort of taking advantage of the position that they have being from an EU economy and, and, and a large one at, at that? Is that happening? Are Polish brands making their presence felt in, in some of the markets further east? I would say that after 30 years, after the transition, so the, uh, our companies are, right now, Polish companies are big enough to, to, to go abroad and to invest abroad. And and uh, I wouldn't say we are investing uh, investing only in the East. So so Polish companies are basically interested in the, uh, in the Western European countries as well. They are uh, active also in the eastern eastern europe but also going further to for example the south uh, south america or uh, or other locations so this is a trend which we are also observing and trying to to support our clients with these uh, these uh, projects so it could be direct investments or just the business relationships uh, which are growing and it's it's clearly the future. So so the the, the market is uh, is in the position that we are not only receiving the foreign investment, but also investing abroad. Of course, you could think that, for example, being Polish, it makes easier for us to invest in Eastern Europe or in Russia because uh, because 30 years ago or 40 years ago, of course, we we all studied Russian, and uh, it could be easier. Actually, due to the political situation and the difficult political uh, relationship with Russia, it is actually not the uh, not the case. But we also have a CE desk in our firm, and uh, we have some projects. We do have some projects uh, in in Eastern Europe as well. I'm curious. You mentioned South America. That that definitely uh, set some some bells off in in, in my head. Just curious, because I, I have to admit that I am very ignorant when it comes to, to the Polish business world. Well, I, I definitely would struggle coming up with the name of, of any Polish company other than the airline, right? I think that's the only Polish company that I could name. So what are some of the industries, some of the sectors that are that are leading this charge to, to invest overseas. I mean, for example, if, if I were to run across a Polish brand or the office of a Polish company in South America, what would it be? Uh, what would be the likely identity of that, uh, of that product or, or, or company? So Polish economy is very diverse. So we had, uh, we have companies dealing uh, basically or working in many different sectors, but, uh, but, what what I would mention definitely is, for example, Polish IT sector. So I don't know IT and games sector. So I don't know if you, for for example, have heard about CD Project, which is basically the very famous game producer, uh, and this company is Polish. 
another sector I could uh, I could mention is, for example, bus producer Solaris. Uh, they are very active on many different markets, and basically they are exporting buses everywhere. So I remember that that once I was uh, asked for a proposal for uh, for Solar uh, for Solaris to uh, for public tenders in. 24 different countries in the world. So they are really active in tendering everywhere and uh, quite successful selling, uh, selling those buses. So another sector which is doing very, very well is cosmetics. So I know that Polish films are selling uh, uh, also everywhere. For example, China is a big market for Polish cosmetics. So it's, it's also one of the sectors of the future. So as you as you may see, we are talking about many very very different sectors of the economy. And but but I have to mention that this process started only some time ago. So it's not like we are not uh, not the country traditionally exporting, but exporting and uh, making investments everywhere. It was vice versa for a long time. So we we were receiving foreign uh, investments here in Poland. Now we, uh, now these trends are a little bit different. So maybe also uh, agriculture. So Poland is a big country with a strong ag- uh, agriculture. So also the food producers are doing very well on the international markets. I didn't realize Solaris was a was a Polish company, so so thanks for that. Um, I have seen their buses, right? So there there you go. That's a that's a second company. And I, as I did a little bit of thinking, I, I also remember that there are Polish aircraft manufacturers, at least one of them, until pretty recently, I think, uh, at least was was making airplanes. I could be a little bit off on that. So as I, as I thought about it, I realized okay, there's there's a little bit more, which is not to say that my ignorance is not there. Katarina, I've really enjoyed this this conversation. Uh, learned a lot. Really glad we we were able to have you on the on the podcast. One last thing: we always end our shows with recommendations by by all of us. So I'd like to ask you if you have anything you could you could recommend, whether it's um, a movie you've seen, a TV show that you're watching, book that you've read, a magazine article, whatever it is. We'd love to hear it. Oh, thanks. So I used to read in the original uh, language if I can. And obviously, I will not recommend you the English literature because it's something you know better than than I. But for example, regarding the Spanish literature, I am a big fan of Javier Marias, a very famous novelist. I haven't read his last book, Thomas Nevinson, but the previous one, Berta Isla, is, was fantastic and it is translated into into English as well. If you are interested in a German uh, a German reading uh, books, so maybe Mark Ellsberg's books could be an option. You have probably heard about Blackout. Due to the English title, some people think the book was written in English, which is not the case because actually the, the original language was was German. And finally, from the Polish literature, which could be translated into English, I could recommend the works of Olga Tokarczuk, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 2018. So it could be also um, something of interest. What was the name of the last author? Olga Tokarczuk. Sorry for that. This is, a, again, the Polish name. <laughs> Difficult to pronounce. 
I'm sure we'll find her. I have to say that I, I think that of all the different advantages that one gets from from speaking other languages, without doubt, for me at least, one of the most important is is that ability to read other literature in its original form. And and I confess that. I'll sometimes steer clear of literature from other countries uh, or, or written in, in languages that I can't read just because I know that I'll be missing out. But, uh, but you're, you're definitely in a, in a good position where it, when it comes to, to being able to appreciate literature in its original form. And uh, hopefully there's, uh, between our German listeners or, and Polish listeners, uh, and of course our, 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 our listeners who speak Spanish, there's enough people that can, that can benefit from these uh, recommendations. So, so thank you for that. And Jonathan, do you have anything for us uh, this week? I wanted to recommend something, an article that one of our attorneys in our firm recommended to us, which is called Navigating PPE Transactions During a Global Pandemic. It's an article in the International Law Quarterly. And uh, you and I have been engaged in a lot of PPE transactions over the past 12 months. And uh, this is a great overview for the kinds of things to watch out for, uh, you know, fraud detection, including who you're dealing with and, and how the market is working behind the scenes. You know, a lot of times as lawyers, we sit down and we have we have contracts in front of us and we see the world through those contracts. And so it's a lot of fun to get beyond the contracts and understand those market dynamics that are happening, especially in the world of PPE where we've got so many brokers involved. And that's typical in international trade scenarios, but it's also uh, even more so in the broker world where the commodity right now that's being uh, transacted across the world is various PPE articles. So highly recommend that navigating PPE transactions during a global pandemic. Fred, what about you? Well, I was a little bit scared when you said you were going to recommend something written by one of our, our colleagues because I thought, is he going to recommend what I had in what I had in mind? But it isn't. I wanted to highlight the reporting that our colleague uh, Simon Malinowski is doing on New York's cannabis legalization. Simon is heading up our our New York office, and he's been tracking what, what's happening in New York very closely. We are recording on the 1st of April, right in the midst of the legalization push in New York. Perhaps by the time this episode is published, uh, things will be slightly more settled, but you can be sure that Simon and our Canna Law blog are going to be keeping you up to date on what's happening with uh, legalization in, in New York, which is a very exciting development with New York's law, it becomes the second largest state really to to set up a, a legal framework for recreational cannabis after after California. So it's a very promising development. I mean, hopefully it will lead to to a lot of job creation and 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 just economic development, right? Just because it's such a such a large market and then things are happening next door in, in New Jersey. Sticking to our east-west theme, <laughs> we're seeing um, that the U.S.'s cannabis map is sort of balancing out a little bit and, and heading east. So, as always, we will provide links to to all of the recommendation, but check out Simon's work on New York legalization. And with that, uh, Katarina, I'd like to thank you once again for your your appearance. We've really enjoyed it, and certainly hope we can have a repeat and look uh, at these topics in, in more depth in the future. It was really great to meet you. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We look forward to connecting with you on social media to continue discussing developments in global law and business. 
This podcast was produced by Harris Bricken with executive producer Madeline Williams. Music composed by Stephen Schmidt. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then.